0: Hello and welcome back to Identity Architects. By now, hopefully you know that this podcast is designed to spotlight individuals who are changing the way that data and identity are used to deliver better customer experiences. I'm your host, Ben Chicchetti, and for this episode, our sales director, Nick Henthorn had the opportunity to sit down and chat with Matthew Birkby. Matthew has had a fascinating career, and with Nick, they dive into the gaming world, how it's evolved today, where it's going, including the potential future of in-game advertising and in the role of AR, VR, and XR. Before I hand it over to Nick and Matthew, a quick reminder to hit that subscribe button so you know when the next episode of Identity Architects lands. But now without any further delay, here's Nick and Matthew.
1: Hi Matthew, thank you so much for joining us today. For anyone who doesn't know you, could you give us a quick introduction to yourself, your background, who you are, what you do?
2: Sure. So my name's Matthew Burkby, as you, you've alluded to, um, and I've been in the marketing and media world for over 20 years. So I've ridden the digital wave from that first dot com explosion to, to, to bust. I was there um, all the way through the, the, the Web 2.0 era, social, through to where we find ourselves now on the cusp of of a new a new dawn. So, so to speak. And most recently I ended up leading global media at Electronic Arts or EA as, as many people know them.
1: Thank you very much. As someone else who's uh, been in this for 20 years, I've got to say it's a constantly changing evolving space and it therefore stays relatively exciting, or at least we hope it does. Um, I'm going to jump in some uh, quick fire questions if that's all right to start off. Um Starting with, what's your earliest memory of advertising slash marketing?
2: I'm not sure if I can... It's probably not going to be ethical about the answer that I'm about to give. But probably the earliest ad or piece of advertising that I remember, and this is so bad, it's the Hamlet cigar ads through the 80s. The happiness is is a cigar called Hamlet. And I know that that's not appropriate, but... The music and there's the line, happiness is a cigar called Hamlet. And just the the humor that was in those ads was just something that stuck with me. I'm not supposed to remember it. I don't smoke, but it's there. The memory structure was built, what, 30 years, 30 plus years ago. It's amazing
1: how those kind of things impact, doesn't it? Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a really bad golfer and you're sat in a bunker and you can't get the ball out and you can just hear the music kicking in. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> very good. And what was your first job in, uh, in, in the marketplace?
2: Sure. So a long, long, long time ago uh, in a land way far away, I, um, I had a marketing assistant role at a very small, organ- a very small company. They don't exist anymore. Um, They were a subscription agent, which probably as a business doesn't exist so much anymore. So they provided subscription agent services to libraries around the world. So if you were in, I don't know, Deutsche Bank and you were subscribed to The Economist, it would have come through the subscription agent. And I started there.
1: Very good. And if if you could look back as yourself now, and give some advice to, to the younger version, what would you, what advice would you give?
2: That's an interesting question. I think the first thing I would say is don't worry. I was a little bit of a worrier way back. Um, and the other thing I would say to myself is just follow those interests even deeper than I actually did. I d- I've done many different things in, in marketing and I'd learned many different skills. And I would just say to myself, go deeper ask more exactly
1: ask why I shouldn't be, shouldn't be commenting there. Um, <laughs> and, um, sort of, I suppose, fast forwarding back, back through those, those 20 years,
2: mm-hmm.
1: what do you, uh, what do you love about what you do right now and the industry you're
2: in? So I think, you know, what I love about it is, you know, technology's changing, legislation's changing, platforms are changing. And that makes things incredibly exciting. And we're told that change is constant, but what's really interesting is actually fundamentally people don't change. So the platforms that they use may change, what we're allow- how we're allowed to communicate with them, and reach them may change, but people fundamentally don't change. And that's kind of what, I like that juxtaposition. Um, and that's, that's what makes things exciting for me personally.
1: Human nature is still human nature. Exactly. Very good. Within the advertising, we're obsessed with the concept of identity the ability to identify individuals across devices and platforms. How would you explain the term identity to a 10-year-old?
2: That is a... That's a million-dollar question. Um, and I, I thought about that a bit, and I was trying to work out what what I would actually say. And I think what I'd say to a 10-year-old me would be, imagine if you had a piece of paper and you wanted to know is that really me if i was wearing a disguise i would hand you this piece of paper that would prove it was me even if i was wearing a disguise that kind of works i i was like i was like i think it's the disguise thing i was like ah and it needs to be tangible like a piece of paper like this this is matthew And, and you knew that that was like my signature in some way to a 10 year old be go, okay, yeah, that's you. Even if it doesn't look like me.
1: That's very clever, very clever, because it is that sort of that really challenging sort of bridge between what a 10 year old would understand as identity and what, Mm -hmm. what we know after an awful long time, um, Simple. Absolutely. Um, a couple of things together here, what keeps you awake at night and what motivates you in the morning?
2: I think the thing that keeps me awake at night, and I think it's, you know, this is not an original thought. We've had 20 years of doing what we do, particularly in, in the digital space. And so in conceptually, we've learned a lot of things. And conceptually, we may have actually ruined a lot of things because, you know, we can't have nice things because that's that's human nature and I worry and what what keeps me awake at night is that we haven't learned the lessons of the last 20 years when it comes through human behavior when it comes to what we do with people's personal data Um, we are always looking for ways around things and I worry that we haven't learned those lessons and that's the thing that kind of I wake up in the night going oh what if and then and then I just know that we will do something. And it was really, if I'm really blunt and honest with with the broader marketing community, if we step back and we looked at what we've done over the last 20 years and why why we're being legislated in one form or another, we just did some weird things. It was a bit weird. Um, kind of moved away from cool to creepy. Exactly that. And we don't wanna go back there.
1: I, I 100% agree. You know, that this is the opportunity for trust, isn't it? So let's start building that trust with the consumer. Um well here's a really cheesy question for you. If there was a song that was a soundtrack to your life, what would it be?
2: Oh, can't I have a whole album? But no. Um so you can have an album if you want, that's fine. No, 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 no. So I was thinking about this one. Um and I picked, and this is probably a little abstract, and it's more because I've been listening to it a lot this last week. It's um, Dare by Gorillaz.
1: Slightly out there.
2: No, it's a very old track. It's called Dare. It's got Sean Ryder in it from the Happy Mondays for people who don't know who Sean Ryder is. But I particularly like it because it has this kind of atmospheric beginning, and that's kind of the start of any journey. And then it's, it's slightly confused in parts and goes into different places, but has an electronic undertone. And that's kind of somewhat I would map my career and life to that slightly confused state, but it's always there.
1: That's an absolutely wonderful answer. And I will go and look it up after this call. Thank you. Um, I'm gonna transition from the quick fire into, uh, she say, a bit more topic related, uh, content if that's all right. Um, Starting with, with, with one around identity. Um, as identity evolves in the digital space, what's the future solution for gaming companies and the tech industry on a wider basis?
2: So that's a good question. And I think I would, I would take out gaming companies as a concept at this stage. And I would say brands in general and the tech industry. And I think there's no singular solution. There's no singular solution, and and that's probably peculiar to say that on this podcast from a company that provides a number of different solutions. However, um, you know, I like to think that a blend of of clean room solutions, depending on where you are in the world and and, and your needs, that will enable companies to, to this is going to sound odd, to keep their options open. Um, Identity is going to continually evolve. Legislation is going to continually evolve. Technology is continually going to need to evolve. And so there's no singular, like, there's not a magic bullet solution, or that's the wrong phrase, but there's not a magic solution that's just going to solve identity for you. It's going to continue to be something that you scratch your head around. But I would say that that's okay. I think you just need to be flexible and you need to be prepared so actually, and this sounds odd as well, be prepared to make multiple choices.
1: Do you know, I think that's absolutely spot on and and I probably shouldn't be answering this in my position either, but there is no silver bullet solution. It's about selecting the right components that make up a solution that will help you going forward. Thank you. Um, on to our, our next question for the day. So first party data is an integral part of marketing strategies of today and, and, and clearly of tomorrow based on the theme so far what three things would you recommend every brand slash advertiser and publisher does in 2022 to prepare for the future
2: first thing get your head out of the sand there are there are people still with their head in the sand still don't aren't really thinking about what they're going to do so that's the first thing it's kind of a get out of jail free card for me personally um the second thing i would say is actually audit what you already have. And that, again, that that relates to the first, because if you don't know what you're collecting already and you don't know what, where you're at, you, you that there's nowhere to go. And the third thing I'd say, and this is probably, again, counter, is of the data you're collecting, ask yourself, do you really need to collect it? you know i think as we you know we mentioned very early on in this conversation we mentioned about we talked about trust or we just hinted at it really think about what you're collecting and why you're utilizing it because i think as as we move forward and as legislation changes and adapts there is going to be pressure for you to be able to answer that question and i think if you can do that and prepare for that now I think that puts you in a much healthier place, and actually, as you start to t- talk with your your consumers, your publishers, your, your 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 visitors, whoever it may be, you'll be able to have a more honest conversation with them.
1: I think that word "honest" is absolutely spot on, and probably applies across all three pillars you've you've provided there. Be honest with yourself, and be honest with 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 the consumers who have have trust in you. Um, fantastic answer, thank you. Um, moving on, marketing is all about consumers and their needs that includes data privacy and shifting away from third-party cookies. So what are the challenges you see for the industry in meeting those needs?
2: Hmm. This is a challenge. Um, and I think this touches somewhat on the previous question. You know, we we should be putting consumers front and center and I and I think if we put consumers front and center and we've audited our needs we've audited we've audited the data that we, we collect from them with the third party cookie going away you should already be in a position you should already be in a position to to be less worried about it the challenge becomes, if you haven't thought about it, if you're caught on the hop, you know, who knows, like, let's imagine our friends at the big G decide that they're, 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 they're going to change their minds on something in Chrome tomorrow something's go- and something's going, and you haven't prepared. You are going to be in a position where you are going to be at the back. And, and I don't want to think of it as a race, but you are going to be behind all of your competition. So I, th- I think about that and I actually, you know, oddly, Oddly, I think about those third-party data vendors. Like, I don't, probably it shouldn't say this either, but if you're working at those places, you know, conceptually, you want to think about what's our business at this point in time. Um, you know, I think that this fundamentally is a good thing for, for consumers. We shouldn't, as a as an industry, be fighting it. We should accept that we've been doing some peculiar things and we should accept that we should be doing things in with transparency and with honesty for, for consumers in one, in one way or another. So
1: I agree wholeheartedly that it's it's absolutely the right thing to do for the consumer and, and businesses, you know, are starting to think about putting the customer's needs first. And from this, from, from a data perspective, why is it so important to consumer?
2: Well, I think I think what's kind of interesting at the moment, if you think about it, is um, first of all, people didn't know what we were doing. Like they didn't really they didn't really think about it. But equally and and now and, and I'll move from that and equally now people are starting to become aware of of the practices out there. But if you keep extrapolating that, if you keep extrapolating how how brands could use data you start to move into some unsavory spaces You start to be able to identify the fact that i don't know you may vote a certain way your sexuality may 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 flow a certain way you may be precluded from taking part in certain things we may interestingly if you keep flowing down this line and we um i don't want to bring ai into this but if we bring ai into this as well we may be setting up machines to classify us in racist ways, in you know, in, in xenophobic ways. Like it's there. So if we are focused solely on inclusion as an example, if we are collecting data in in ways that is illegal, is not in the interest of the consumer, you could just you can keep spiraling in this. And so if you put the consumer at the heart of everything, um, I do believe that it's the right thing to do. And I think you know we could have an entirely other podcast on ethics yeah, ethics in the digital space, but it's not something that 20 years ago, if you and I had sat down in a room and gone, let's talk about ethics in the digital space. It's not something we would have even considered.
1: I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. I'm gonna shift the gears a little bit and, and, and talk about an industry that you've uh, been working in for the last few years. What makes the gaming industry so unique in terms of its first party data and and the collaboration opportunities that can come from that
2: it's an interesting um it's an interesting question I think probably I would step back one further what makes the gaming industry so interesting and the gaming industry is incredibly interesting is because people have not realized the gaming industry is the largest entertainment industry so that that's just like it's larger than the the other entertainment industries full stop on top of that players in the video games industry are possibly some of the most passionate people you will you you, you will meet they're some of the most technology first people that, that you will meet so they are you know potentially a window into the future so we have those, those aspects people spend hundreds of hours in video games, hundreds of hours, whether that's the more Candy Crush esque on your phone all the way through to Apex Legends through to Mass Effect and beyond. So, you, you know, you start to think about the, the amount of time that people are spending in, in games. And and the interesting thing is, is that this audience spends so much time with these products. They're so passionate about them start to be able to build up interesting pictures of 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 who players are and actually i would argue now everyone's a player um everyone's played games at some point in their life they just don't necessarily classify themselves as that and then from a partnership perspective and a collaboration perspective you know i i've I've been thinking a lot recently about this concept of millennial parents um specifically And if we think about it, you know, the millennial audience is having children now. The millennial audience Mm -hmm. has become very used to playing games. This is an audience that is going to influence Gen B. So not Gen A, Gen B. You know, we're already gone beyond A into B. And so what this opens up for everybody is an audience that is engaged, an audience that is passionate, an audience that is... Um, is not frightened to express themselves and an audience where people spend a lot of time, a lot of time. And I think that's the really interesting thing.
1: Just extending on that collaboration uh, piece you mentioned there, thinking of, of of the gaming industry as, as as I see it as a relative layman, because I'm, I'm not part of those generations. As I said, I learned an awful lot about gaming from, from my son. Um, you look at the publishers and the platforms, both of whom are, are, um, you know, working directly with the consumer, what collaboration opportunities could exist between them in a world where they could safely do so?
2: So do you mean platform and publisher and gaming so,
1: publisher and for argument's sake a an xbox slash playstation platform
2: so i think i think the interesting thing um so there's 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 obviously clear synergies between say a a video games publisher and a platform and there's certainly uh, interesting opportunities to enrich um enrich people's understanding of players across device, across title, I think where it becomes interesting is where you bring third parties into that as well. So you could bring another brand, I think, I think the interesting elements that I'm, I'm excited about is where you can bring multiple brands together across platforms. So you could bring a video games company, a, a video games platform, another brand, and potentially even another brand. And you start to develop a really enriched view of of who who a potential player is in a privacy safe way and i think that those are the kind of interesting things that, that are going to emerge in the coming years i think the other interesting aspect when we think about collaboration is if you think about the media planning process through strategy planning and activation there are obviously strategic elements that that you can you can utilize. Uh, collaboration for you never know what insight may may as it sounds odd may drop out of the sky but you know you never know until you start to you start to talk and you start to to bring those those data sets together and then from a planning point of view that pushes you into all kinds of interesting spaces but the ultimate from a I suppose from a brand or from I don't know a media team at any brand be that video games be that brand X or whatever is activating off of that. You bring those things together and things, things start to become incredibly interesting. Like publishers of video games know a lot about what people do in game, but to enrich their lives beyond game starts to become interesting. Um, And I I would leave it at that. All of course, within the
1: frame of, of, of consumer first.
2: Consumer first and actually consumer first and privacy safe with a capital P, like very, good. very, very, like a big, as big a P as you can possibly put. Thank you.
1: The collaborations we've talked about there, you know, big gaming platform, uh, big, big publisher, you know, a brand that all works brilliantly when you've got lots of first party data in play. How does that become accessible for smaller companies? Smaller companies typically with less first-party data.
2: So I think, I think what's interesting. So there, I was, I had thoughts about this, um, and not necessarily about collecting data. But I'm a big advocate of open standards, open definitions, uh, that data collaboration and privacy not be owned by one entity in one form or another. And I do think if there is an ability to for the companies in this space to start to shape together what those standards are. So you have this from a data collection perspective. And then I, I start to think about context. So you know, we see within the media world at the moment, within advertising context is, is, is becoming important again, is there a way to utilize context outside of identity, which starts to become interesting. And I think you, you could spin that further, not just digitally. Is there a way to utilize context of location in some way? So, and I'm thinking beyond digital publishers and, and, and digital brands, but ultimately if we think it's you know that's for if you don't have your first party data ultimately we need to make accessible in some form or other the technology and this is peculiar when i'm talking to you we need to make accessible in some way or have some open standards in some manner that enable smaller brands um who who maybe don't have the resources the time the effort to access um I don't know. It's like, is there an open marketplace in some manner um, which is privacy safe that smaller brands are able to access? That that that's a that's a bigger question. Um, but I, I think it's kind of an an interesting proposition.
1: I think we see some of those trends in, in retail media where you've got smaller CPGs who don't necessarily have any first party aid themselves, but can leverage um, the understanding of audiences from for example retailers who are selling their products so i'm 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 guessing you can start to apply some of those principles to sectors like
2: gaming. I would say so uh, and I think that that's a that that's a great example. um you know, I think that's a great example of thinking about maybe thinking laterally about okay, so, Think about your supply chain, whether that's a, a digital supply chain or, or whether that's an actual physical supply chain. Think about what your ultimate objectives are with this as well. Because I think that that's the other thing that we haven't talked about is defining your objectives up front, which comes back to this, why are we collecting this data in the first place? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we talked about transparency, but really it also comes back to those objectives.
1: Fantastic. I, I quite like this one,
2: so
1: <laughs> I just really love your opinion. In-game ads are, are, are now a thing. Um, I say they're now a thing. We've seen you know, sponsorships on banners for car racing games since I was a kid and I gamed. But they're constantly evolving, and there's the ability to personalise them. If we look five, ten years ahead, what will it look like? Are we basically heading towards Ready Player One?
2: Well, if I just said yes, that would be rubbish as an answer. Um, <laughs> so, so I, I think I think the first thing I would say is, and I meant I think I touched on this in the previous question, and particularly people who play a lot. If it is disruptive to the experience in game, dis- disruptive to. What you would expect to see in game, or there's no value exchange, then things then it's possible that the 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 advertising in games crumbles in some way, form or other, or at least doesn't scale the way it could do. However, um, there are a lot of smart people out there at the moment, really pushing to make this a reality, and I think that we will see more and more. I'm going to say advertising slash partnership in games. You know, we see this already. Um, we see what I would consider trad- the, the translation of the real world ad experience into the digital world, in, into games. But I think where it becomes incredibly interesting is if brands are afforded the tools to shape their own experiences in game in one form or another so that it doesn't disrupt the experience and feels additive to what you have there in some form or another now does that mean i'm going to see uh, a fried chicken brand creating its own thing in in a in a sports game or in a a uh, in in a role playing game Maybe not. It might work better in the sports game than the role playing game. You know, might be a little more disruptive. But if you can think again, this is about thinking laterally and how do you uh, add to the experience, then I think that's fine. Will we move to Ready Player One? Probably not in the next five to 10 years. But what I would say, and this is, you know, again, not an original thought, and and nobody mentions the metaverse um, in one way or form or another. But I do think that. AR, VR, and XR are going to be a thing. Um, I'm personally quite bullish on it, but it will, it'll take forever. And then suddenly it will be here. Um, And I think that we have others, other examples of technology. Like I seem, you know, you, you and I have been around long enough to remember the year of mobile um, and the constant, the year of mobile. And then suddenly everyone has a, has a, has a, like a smartphone in their hand and the iPhone is ubiquitous and now None of us, you know, we can't operate without these things. It would not surprise me at some point if XR and AR just become a thing and suddenly, like, the world's doing it.
1: The evolution pace is just unreal if you think about that example you gave. You Mm -hmm. know, the Nokia, the iPod, suddenly they were combined and it just became the norm. I absolutely agree with you. Um, Is there anything that we've missed that you want to cover off?
2: I don't think so. Like, I think we've, we've covered all, all elements. I think, you know, what I, I really do think the interesting thing is having people understand the potential within the clean room space in general um, and translating, translating it for the average marketer. Like if you think about it, you and I live and breathe this and we're just like, yeah, it's a thing. But in, if you think about those small brands, translating what we do and what we understand to, like, if I, I think about the small company I work for way back and, we've exp- and, and we'd have and we expressed how things are expressed in our industry to them, they'd have been like, I am not a clue what you're talking about.
1: I think we do sometimes have the, uh, the ability to overcomplicate, don't we? We do. Um, we do. And I'm a firm believer in keep it simple
2: completely. So I I think we've covered a lot there.
1: Well, um, I've got one more question for you, then. Um, This podcast is all about individuals who've pioneered new ways to use data, deliver better customer experiences, etc. So if you were to look to the people you admire in the industry, who would you nominate for us to interview in an upcoming episode?
2: I'd like to answer that in two parts. So the, the first part, if you haven't had Belinda Smith on, who previously ran media practice at EA and then post that, was the CEO of M6 in North America, she definitely will give you an incredible um, conversation around identity and what it is and what it isn't. From the brands that I admire, I'm really curious about, and this is not an original thought, around the likes of Reformation in the US and Everlane, because DTC is pushing, but the big brand and and pioneered and, and innovated in experience, but everybody's catching up. So how are they going to continue to innovate and keep ahead of things and utilize their digital understanding that the agility that they have in their businesses to move forward. I'm just incredibly curious about those businesses. They, 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 they fascinate me with just the experience that they build in store online and how they blur that together and then where identity in particular falls for them
1: That's some fantastic recommendations there um, and ones we'll definitely take a look at. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, Really fantastic insights. Um, Really, really appreciate you taking the time.
2: No, thank you. It's been great. And I love identity architects.
1: (laughs) That's a great plug. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks again to Matthew for joining us for Identity Architects. It was amazing to hear his insights into the role of advertising within the gaming industry. As a gamer myself, Matthew's caution to the industry to keep advertising from being intrusive and disruptive really resonates. I'd go a step further and say that advertising as a whole should aim to be non-intrusive or disruptive. All that leaves for me to do is remind you to hit that subscribe button so you know when the next episode of Identity Architects lands. But until then, thanks for listening.